came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Every time that flag's on the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. 14 days to Christmas. We have one great show for you today. Carl Rove, one smart guy. What happened to the red wave? Dr. Peter Mihalos, some revelations about living longer. We have Dr. Riccardi from the Diabetes Research Institute in University of Miami. When are we going to find a cure for diabetes? And to start off the show, Rona McDaniel, Chairwoman of the Republican National Committee on an update, which way is the Republican Party going? And welcome to the Cats Roundtable. On the line with us right now, we have Rona McDaniel. She is the RNC Chairwoman. Welcome to uh, the Cats Roundtable. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, Rona, I mean, we lost the red wave this uh, this year, and uh, everybody's waiting for uh, the analysis. What the heck happened? Yeah, the RNC's put together an after-analysis com- uh, committee that we're going to look at everything. Listen, John, we won. We won back the House. We won uh, every incumbent governorship and Senate race, but we didn't win as much as we wanted to win. And so we've got to look at what happened in every state, what happened in every race. We saw very high Republican turnout, but we saw a massive amount of ticket splitting where a Republican win- would win statewide, say, in New Hampshire or Wisconsin or Arizona or Georgia, but then the other Republican running statewide, they'd vote for the Democrat. Republicans actually voted for the Democrat. We've got to figure out what that is. You know, the RNC, we don't pick the candidates, the voters do, and we don't do the messaging. That's up to the campaigns. But we do do turnout. And the one thing we're seeing right now is that turnout was sky high, but Republicans didn't vote for every Republican candidate. There were so many things going on in our country, the border crisis, the, the drug crisis coming across the borders, the, the crime crisis. And for us not to win more, uh, it, it was very, you know, it was disheartening. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Dobbs was a factor in some states, Pennsylvania. It was a big, big factor. Uh, our candidates being able to address the abortion issue uh, we've got to get conversant on that. It was probably a bigger factor than than a lot of people thought. We can't just do an ostrich method and pretend that it doesn't exist when Democrats are spending $30 million on that message. And we need our consultant class to tell our candidates, you've got to talk about this issue of $30 million of ads are coming up against you in abortion. Uh, you can't just ignore it. And Pennsylvania and Michigan, that was a huge issue in both of those states. In Michigan, for example, it was a ballot initiative. But then we had big wins. Florida, we won everything. We picked up four House seats. Uh, You look at North Carolina, same thing, Ted Budd. You look at Iowa, we flipped a House seat there. So some states had great nights. Uh, California, New York, you had great nights, too, with uh, winning House seats, flipping House seats that were held by Democrats. But it's going to be state by state, race by race, and we've got to figure out 
uh, what we need to do for 2024. The, some of the Democrats are saying, and some of the Republicans were saying to me, that the Democrats are street fighters. And uh, the Republicans are just wearing red coats. I'll give you an example. In, in Georgia, when, when we lost Georgia, uh, what was it, two years ago, uh, the, everybody was promised $2,600 if you come vote for the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The Democrats delivered. This time around, uh, Joe Biden, uh, President Biden, promised uh, all the young people $10,000 off their, their uh, debt to, uh, on their student loans, even though he's not capable of doing. He didn't tell the truth. He didn't say to anybody, well, it's not up to me. It's up to the Congress. Well, guess what? All the students voted for, for, for Democratic uh, uh, House and whatever because, because I'm going to get $10,000 next week. Yeah, you know, Georgia actually had a really big red wave on on Election Day. They had nine statewide races, nine statewide races. Do you know how many Republicans won? Eight. Wow. Brian Kemp Kemp went from winning 1% over Stacey Abrams, right? It was a rematch. He won by 1% in 2018. In 2022, he won by eight points. So he decimated Stacey Abrams in Georgia. So there was only one race. Incumbents across the country won. That's what I'm saying. Ticket splitting was everywhere. So we won eight races statewide in Georgia, but then Warnock wins the runoff. Ron Johnson wins in Wisconsin, but Evers holds the governorship. Every single state, you see that. In Arizona, do you know the top vote getter was in Arizona? Kimberly Yee, a Republican. She got 100,000 more votes than the next Republican. So this is part, we flipped the governorship in Nevada. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. And you know what? You know how we won California? Because we were better at ballot harvesting than they were. And we switched the Duarte seat. We won Ryan Zinke's seat with ballot harvesting. And same with Nevada. So the Democrats are smart. Pay attention to the fact that Biden administration today or two days ago just gave $36 billion to the unions. For the shortfalls in their pension uh-huh. funds. And then they also, before the election, increased the Social Security uh, benefits for seniors so they didn't feel the impact of inflation. So the Biden administration is being tactical. They are doing things to uh, give the voters more money so that they don't feel the impact of these bad policies. And that is why everybody needs to take a breath and be so happy that we just flipped the House for the third time in 70 years. We yep. flipped the House of Representatives from Democrat to Republican and retired Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden's going to have a check on him. So bottom line, we got to be bigger street fighters than the Democrats, I guess. Yep, and we, uh, we do, but we also need Republicans to vote for the Republicans. And here's what I'm going to say, John. We can't hate each other so much that we forget what the Democrats are doing to this country. We can't be so mad at each other that we say, I'm not going to vote for this Republican because they like this candidate or their rhino or establishment or MAGA. We have got to come together because if you look at many of these elections right now, the Republican voters were the difference maker. And we have got to come together because the Democrats are destroying our country. And unity is going to be the word of the day if we're going to win in 2023. And then we've got to bring 2023 and 2024. And we've got to bring independence in as well. But if we have infighting, no one's attracted to our party. Do we have any Senate races uh, in 2023? In 2023, we have three gubernatorial races. So we'll have Mississippi, 
uh, Kentucky, who has a terrible governor, Bashir, and then you'll have an open gubernatorial seat in Louisiana. Um, you've already seen Jeff Landry, the attorney general, throw his hat in the ring there. And then we're probably going to go to court on some House races in, um, Nevada, in North Carolina, where we flipped the Supreme Court, and Ohio, where we flipped the Supreme Court. And they had not finalized their redistricting maps, so I think we'll pick up some seats in those states as well and have some house races. Rona McDaniel, thank you for, uh, you know, creating a forum for the uh, Republican uh, administration. And, and you know, what we need is Christmas is coming up. We got a new year coming up. We have to pray for America. And, and let's come together as Republicans because the Democrats want to change our country and we're the only ones who can save it. Agree. Thank God, you, John. God bless America and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And on the line with us right now is the Honorable Carl Rove. He was a senior advisor and deputy chief of staff during the George W. Bush administration. And he's also a Republican policy advisor. Welcome to the Cats Roundtable. Thanks for having me. Mr. Rove, uh, what the heck is going on in the Republican Party? I mean, you're, you're, the, you're one of the big gurus. Uh, give us your thoughts on what happened in Georgia, uh, what's happening in uh uh, with cinema, uh, Senator Cinema in Arizona, and then we'll go on. Yeah, well, Georgia, uh, you know, we, on election day in November, um, the Republican ticket, with the exception of one person, won outright. In Georgia, they have a requirement that you have to get 50% of the vote uh, on in November. Uh, otherwise, you have to go into a runoff. And every Republican statewide candidate, including the labor commissioner and the attorney general, and the insurance commissioner and the secretary of state all won and won by pretty healthy margins, uh, led by Governor Brian Kemp, who won by about eight points. But 203,000 votes behind him was Herschel Walker. And what was interesting was the difference between what Governor Kemp got and what Herschel Walker got was basically Republican-leaning voters who could not bring themselves to vote for him, about 18,000 Republicans voted for Brian Kemp for governor and left their ballot blank for the Senate race. About 58,000 of them voted for Brian Kemp for governor and voted for the Libertarian for uh, for Senate. And about 120-some-odd thousand voted for Brian Kemp. And because they couldn't uh, bring themselves to vote for, uh, for uh, Walker, voted for Raphael Warnick, the Democrat senator. And um, that, that, that propelled Warnock into the runoff. With a with a lead of about thirty seven thousand votes over uh, over Walker, and what happened in the runoff was that that the energy went out when we when we didn't take control of the Senate. They're sort of like Republicans said, we don't need to turn out and <clears throat> vote because the issue of the Senate is settled. And as a result, uh, we had uh, Walker lose in the runoff by about a hundred thousand votes. We went into uh, uh, the fall saying we're going to have a gigantic victory, a, a red wave, your, your gut feeling. You've been around for a while like I have. What happened? Well, we had a lot of candidates who at the end of the day, Republicans and Republican-leading independents couldn't vote for. Think about this. Three and a half million more people voted for Republican candidates for the, for the U.S. House than voted Democrat. We had huge waves in some red states. Ohio, which used to be a battleground state, the Republican governor won re-election by 26 points with a serious Democrat opponent, and the entire Republican ticket swept in with, you know, 15, 20, 21, 22 percent margins, winning margins over their Democrat opponents. We saw in Florida, 
the entire Republican ticket got swept into office. Last office held by Democrats, the Ag Commissioner is now held by Republicans. Super Republican majorities in the House and State Senate. We pick up a number of congressional seats. DeSantis wins a huge victory. Texas, same thing happened. We won, we beat Robert Francis O'Rourke, our entire statewide ticket, won by double digits. And, uh, and yet we had uh, these losses and, and failed to pick up seats in the House. I've counted 11 seats in the House of Representatives where there's huge ticket splitting, where people vote for Chris Sununu, for example, in New Hampshire with 57 percent of the vote as a Democrat opponent at 42 uh, and yet uh, he's running well ahead of the two Republican congressional candidates. And the reason was because we ended up with some knuckleheads who were endorsed by President Trump without proper vetting. And uh, Republicans went into the voting booth and said, I'm voting for, you know, uh, Tiffany Smiley in Washington state. But I'm not going to vote for that guy, Joe Kent, who ended up being a QAnon advocate and saying the most extreme things about January 6th. And uh, and who runs persistently behind Tiffany Smiley by three to six points in every district, uh, excuse me, every county in the district. People said, I'm voting for Mike DeWine for governor in, in the state of Ohio, but I'm not voting for this J.R. Majewski in the ninth district, whom Trump endorsed because he'd had a big display in his front yard for Trump in the 2020 election. And Trump had seen it and said, said that that's my guy. He claimed to be a combat veteran. Turned out he was never in combat. Claimed to have been in Afghanistan and Iraq. Turned out he was he was a loader on the on the flight line in Qatar for three months. And not only that, but it turned out the reason he got reduced in rank in the military was not a bar fight. It was that he was driving drunk on a, a military base with a major with a huge piece of equipment after 9/11. And, and we had we had time after time after time gave away seats like that. North Carolina first district. Bush carried it twice. Romney carried it, McCain carried it, Trump carried it twice. Longtime Democrat retires. It should be our seat. Trump endorses a woman named Sandy Smith without doing any vetting on her or any background check. If he had, he would have found out that in two of her previous four marriages that she was, uh, that she was charged with spousal abuse. She beat the heck out of her husbands. And as a result, we lost a seat that should have fallen into our hands. And think what the House would look like today if rather than 200 and 22, we were at 231, and the Democrats, rather than being at 213, were uh, or excuse me, 200, yeah, 200, uh, yeah, 13. They were at 201. It'd be a big different story. So quality of candidates matters. And what we saw in this election was the return of the ticket splitter. It was a bunch of Republicans who said, "I can't bring myself to endorse somebody who is subpar or unqualified for office." I think that's a pretty good analysis. That. Uh... Uh, the Democrats voted Democratic, and, and the Republicans did not hold the line. Yeah, look, think, think about Arizona. We have a Republican who gets elected state treasurer, a former state legislator running for state treasurer. She runs 200,000 votes ahead of the Republican U.S. Senate candidate. Now, something's going on. Part of those are Republicans. The difference Part of them are independents, but it says something about a candidate at the top of the ticket that he runs that far behind somebody who's at the bottom of the ticket. Something fundamentally wrong when we put up candidates who are so, uh, you know, poor in making the case for for our principles and for the reason that they ought to be elected. Uh, who is the leader of the Democratic Party? Who's calling the shots right now? Well, Joe Biden is, but uh, you know. <laughs> To me, it, it was really amazing. One of the most amazing things about this election is the Republicans take the House, 
The Democrats escape a disaster in the Senate simply because we made mistakes on our side. And, Trump, and, and, uh, and, and Biden is asked the day after the election, what are you going to do differently? And he says nothing, because the more people find out about what we're doing, the more popular we become. I mean, what universe is that guy living in? People did not vote for this election as a, as a, as a vote of confidence in Joe Biden. They voted in this election uh, to say we want the best person in there representing our conservative values and views, but we can't vote for that particular Republican. Otherwise, a handful of votes in Nevada. 10,000 votes or less in Nevada would have given us a 50-50 Senate, uh, you know, a uh, 38,000 votes in Georgia in November would have given us a Republican 51-49 Senate. But, uh, you know, we just, we just ended up with bad candidates, and, and Biden is going is to re- regret thinking that he, all he has to do is keep doing more of the same because that's not what the American people wanted. Uh, Mr. Rove, we got a minute left. Anything else you want to tell the American people? Uh, what do you think of Friday's development with uh, Senator Cinema? Well, I think it's really interesting. It's uh, uh, you know, it's it, it says something about uh, Arizona now comes big into play for us in 2024, and it says something about the continuing inability of the Democrats to have have cohesion. I mean, they've now got two Mavericks. Uh, Mansion and Cinema, and while they may have 51 in the Senate, the, 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 those two Mavericks have, have, have demonstrated a willingness to break from their party on on big issues and represent a more centrist viewpoint. And we'll 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 see how uh, Schumer deals with that. But he's got a couple. He's got a new headache this morning. Carl Rove, thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. God bless you, and uh, God bless America. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. And now on the line, we have Doug Schoen. He's a political analyst, author, and commentator. Welcome back to Cats at Night. I'm pleased to be with such an august group. (laughs) (laughs) Doug Schoen, we're calling you because we don't know what the heck is going on in our country. Maybe you can tell us. Well, uh, first thing I would tell you, John, and thank you, I'll do my best, is our partisan lines are so hardened that... Literally, what goes on in campaigns, what gets said, is less important than how you think about the world, which side of the divide you're on. It was a very, very close election, as everyone knows, Um, with all the stuff that came out on Herschel Walker, the fact that he got within a couple of points, uh, I think a point and a half, if, if memory serves me, tells me two things. First, Biden will be emboldened. He will say, see, um... We did much better in the midterms. We held in the Senate, picked up a a seat, didn't have that big losses in the House. He will go full steam ahead with his agenda, and he'll stay left. That's one prediction. The other is the Republicans will say, look, if we had a decent candidate, we would have won Georgia. The problem is Herschel Walker and, by extension, of course, Donald Trump. And so the Republicans, I think— We'll use Georgia and the midterms to say we got to investigate Biden. We got to 
investigate Hunter Biden, Mayorkas for the borders, Merrick Garland for the Justice Department. And I think we're going to have extreme polarization, John, with a fight for the nomination between DeSantis and Trump. And I think Biden is now getting ready to run uh, again. And uh, if he does, even though he may well be somewhat challenged in a variety of areas, my sense is that he won't face a challenge in the primary. And and Rupert Murdoch today sent out a text uh, and uh, put out a statement that uh, uh, Trump should have a discussion with himself and 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 forget about running in 2024. What say you? I would agree with that. I, I suspect that given what I read, given what I see, and the fact that two more documents, classified documents, were found in a Trump storage facility today, I believe he's almost certainly going to be charged in the document case, if not the other two or three cases that are pending. And uh, uh, he can try to run in those that situation, further divide the country, but I don't think he can be elected. Doug, this is Pete King. King. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, uh, Donald Trump has shown he's had nine lives. Do you think he's used up all nine of them? Uh, not just for the election, but even for getting the, uh, you know, the nomination in the primary race. Sure. I think he's used up eight and a half of them, Pete, and it could well <laughs> be, be, be nine. Uh, I'm curious what you think. Do you think he's used up his nine lives? Yeah, I think he has. I think the accumulation of all of this is, yep. is just too much. And people with all of the partisanship going on, they are getting tired. They want someone who at least is not going to be fighting his own battles every week. A guy like DeSantis, and I'm not necessarily a big fan of DeSantis per se, but on record, he can handle himself. He has basically the same Trump policies, but doesn't commit political suicide, doesn't, you know, doesn't shoot himself. Well, well um, Doug, this is Rudy, Rudy Washington. Washington. Um, hey, how, Rudy. how you doing? I was reflecting a bit. I think the last time a presidential candidate was primary by his party was Jimmy Carter, wasn't it, with Ted Kennedy? Uh, I, uh, yeah, that is correct, and... As you remember, and I remember, because I was in the Teddy Kennedy camp, uh, despite the fact that uh, Kennedy started way ahead, obviously, uh, it was tough to run against an incumbent president. And I suspect it's going to be hard if anyone decides to run against Biden for that to happen. And there isn't really a logical opponent that I can see other than Bernie yeah, Sanders. That was, that was my follow-up question. Yeah, you just answered it. Yeah, Doug, especially South Carolina leads off. Well, Doug, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. I think what you just said, you said South Carolina. It seemed to me as an outsider looking in that the attempt by Biden's people to make South Carolina number one is to try to fix the deck so that Biden would get the nomination and not have to worry about places like, like Iowa or New Hampshire. What do you say? I, I completely agree. Uh, I, I think uh, it, it telegraphs two things, Richard. First, He's running. And second, that they don't want to take the chance that in uh, something like the Iowa caucuses, where there are a lot of liberal Democrats, there could be a protest movement against uh, the incumbent Joe Biden and somebody like Bernie Sanders or even AOC, who I guess is now under investigation by the, by the House, uh, could run and give him fit. So uh, my guess is that Biden runs unopposed if I had to bet. 
Wow. Well, thank you, Doug Schoen, and thank you, uh, and uh, thank you for your common sense. And I hope our world and our country straightens out, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. I, I, anytime you're on the case, John, with your colleagues, the world's in a better place. That's for sure. Thank you, Doug Schoen. Thank you. Bye-bye Merry now. Christmas and Happy New Year. Same to you, John. Okay. Silver bells, silver bells, it's Christmas time in the city. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Soon it will be Christmas Day. With us today is Camillo Ricardi, uh, a doctor, a scientist, and uh, the Diabetes Research Institute as part of the University of Miami. And uh, they've made a lot of progress, but there's no cure yet. But we want to get an update uh, from uh, Dr. Ricardi of where we are. Doctor, we haven't talked in a couple of years, uh, but I'm glad you're healthy and uh, we're all alive. Uh, give us an update. What's going on in diabetic research? Yes, uh, thank you, John. It's been a pleasure to be back on your program. In these two years, there have been tremendous progress because uh, we successfully completed the phase three trial of uh, transplantation of insulin-producing cells uh, to treat the most severe cases of type 1 diabetes. We now have presented, I presented in Stockholm a few months ago, the first in human success with uh, stem cell-derived islets that could provide potentially an unlimited source of insulin-producing cells. But the big challenge now is how to do this procedure without immunosuppression, without using the anti-rejection drugs that can cause some problem over the years. And that is uh, very exciting also because now we have... uh, new approaches that are moving to the clinic uh, to transplant insulin-producing cells without anti-rejection drugs. And in particular, we have a a bioengineered microgel that produces substance that induces tolerance to islet transplanted in the abdominal cavity with a procedure that we developed in Miami and already successfully tested clinically with anti-rejection drugs. And now, thanks to this collaboration with uh, tolerance and Harvard, Georgia Tech, and University of Missouri will, in one year, will hopefully have the clinical trial that will be the first one to transplant islets without uh, anti-rejection drugs for life. So it's uh, very exciting that all of these technology are now moving to the clinic, so we are not talking anymore about uh, preclinical experiments or animal studies in mice, uh, but we are moving to clinical-ready procedure and application, and uh, I'm very excited that we will hear about the results very soon. You guys are part of uh, Diabetes Research Institute. You're part of the uh, University of Miami, Uh, and and, and you're allowed to do uh, the uh, cells of transplant program. Well, stem cells, uh, right now we are at the crossroad where we are testing uh, stem cell sources from uh, North America, from Asia, from Europe, and there are different kinds of stem cells. There are embryonic-derived stem cells that we are not using uh, going forward because now you can derive from the so-called inducible pluripotent stem cells that are obtained taking a biopsy of any adult tissue, and you can bring it back to become a stem cell again and then redifferentiate them to become insulin-producing. 
So the so-called inducible pluripotent stem cell technology is what gave uh, Professor Yamanaka the Nobel Prize in 2012, and now uh, he's been licensing the technology to many centers worldwide. And we're involved with the diabetes uh, trial. We're also testing cells developed by his group here. How many diabetics in North America now? Uh, we have uh, many millions. We have uh, we have like 24 millions. Uh, the majority are type 2, but now we're developing procedure and uh, technologies to both treat type 1 and type 2 uh, diabetes. And uh, I actually wrote a book on this that just came out in English uh, a few days ago. Tell us about tell us about the book. Uh, the book is called The Healthspan Code and is um, uh, how to reverse the the differentiation of tissue when they age, they lost function. So like neurons start becoming like skin cells, pancreatic islets no longer produce insulin. And we have shown that uh, with technologies and using like uh, umbilical cord, uh, mesenchymal stem cells that are obtained from babies that are a healthy baby born, generally you discard the placenta and the umbilical cord and uh, you can instead expand billions of these cells that from one single umbilical cord you could potentially treat over 10,000 patients with therapeutic cell doses. But uh, we just started discussing in the book that is uh, called the Healthspan Code, uh, how, what are the common elements of the pandemics of this century that are not only type 1 diabetes, as the tip of the iceberg of autoimmune diseases that now hit uh, 20% of the population in the United States with 100 different diseases. And there is the COVID pandemic, viral diseases, is the second pandemic I discussed in the book. And the third one that is the uh, biggest one is the unhealthy aging uh, diseases. So disease re uh, related to uh, not the healthy lifespan, but the unhealthy lifespan that hit uh, uh, over 90% of Americans above age 65 who develop at least one chronic degenerative disease condition. And this is a population that will double in the next two decades, so that the over age 65 will become a, a real problem, especially because they're responsible for 90% of the cost of healthcare in this country. And many of these diseases are preventable, and the risk factors are common between autoimmune diseases like type 1 diabetes, viral disease like severe COVID that you can develop, and chronic degenerative disease like type 2 diabetes or cardiovascular neurodegenerative. So we are discussing all the strategies that you can do to identify the risk, correct lifestyle, nutrition, uh, uh, physical activity, and pro protective substances that you can take to compensate the decline that you have in the last decade of life and enjoy healthy uh, lifespan in, in, in good physical and mental health. That's the objective of the, of the book, to share, share all what you develop uh, in this direction. Because it started from diabetes, because diabetes is an accelerated aging disease where people can lose uh, uh, up to two decades of life if they're diagnosed as children. There was a big paper published in The Lancet in this direction. So we said, as we do progress to prevent accelerated aging in diabetes, I said, why don't we can apply this to all other age-related disease conditions? I understood. Uh, and uh, give us the name of the book again so people want to buy it. They know where, they, I guess they can buy it at... Uh, at uh, uh, Amazon, Amazon or 
is on Amazon.com because I couldn't produce. I'm self-publishing, so I cannot produce it, distribute to all the bookstores. But it's, uh, it's called The Healthspan Code, three, three words, The Healthspan Code. Code. Well, thank you, uh, Doctor, and, uh, and uh, we hope to have good news uh, soon. And, and please let us know when we can have some good news, and uh, uh, maybe you'll uh, uh, get it to, to tell us. Uh, so long. And this is Dr. Camilio Ricordi, uh, and um, professor and, and uh, scientist uh, of the, uh, the Diabetes Research Institute in University of Miami. Thank you so much. And 14 days to Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas, and thank you for having me. Thank you. John Solomon, intrepid investigative reporter of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. John Solomon, what do you have for us? Yeah, listen, this is a fascinating story. Uh, we've been talking about, we think the government's involved in censorship. Mark Zuckerberg suggests he got contacted by the FBI. And the FBI has been kind of vague about what it's really done in the censorship world. Not any longer. There is a brand new deposition out in a civil case brought by the Louisiana and Missouri attorney generals. Everybody's focused on the Dr. Anthony Fauci deposition. That certainly was a very important news thing. But this second uh, deposition is of a, a FBI assistant special agent in charge in San Francisco by the name of Elvis Chan. And he set up a special unit in 2020 at the insistence of his headquarters in Washington to send daily requests to social media and search companies during the 2020 election to uh, censor, remove um, uh, pieces of content that Americans had posted on social media. And he goes into great detail, and perhaps the most important of all the things, the same FBI headquarters that he says that we've all heard say, well, we really don't censor people. We work with the uh, social companies to avoid interference in the election. He's, he lays out a, a process where uh, uh, a lead comes in, someone complains, I think there's election disinformation. It goes to a field office of the FBI. That goes to headquarters. Headquarters decides if it should go to social media. And then he, as the representative in San Francisco, then would contact a social media company saying, we think you should take this down as disinformation. Direct government censorship, uh, something that our Constitution tells us isn't supposed that, to happen. That's a Wow. Now, uh, we're hearing this story time and time again about these stores having to shut down due to these waves of shoplifting. And now even Walmart CEO says the company may have to hike their prices and close their stores. What are you what are you hearing? Yeah, we've heard it from Starbucks, right? How many Starbucks have closed down in urban areas because of these smashing down? Now Walmart, one of the largest retailers in the world, saying, hey, we're going to have to start shutting down if this situation doesn't improve. Loud, loud signals from Main Street America that the crime wave is now beginning to have significant effect, not just on the. Well, I'll give product. you some breaking news. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we, uh, we we're in Manhattan, our headquarters, and uh, Rite Aid, Rite Aid people, the Rite Aid uh, uh, lawyers told my lawyer today that they're closing all the Rite Aid stores in Manhattan because of theft and and other problems. Wow! Oh, that is huge. And but there's a downstream consequence. Of course, everybody thinks about the, oh, the retailer, but that means people can't get their prescriptions. They can't get their goods as easily. And all those jobs walk out of these marketplaces. The communities that have allowed these crime waves to persist through their policies are now punishing their own residents a second and third time by removing jobs and removing 
the capability to get food and prescriptions. This is a triple whammy if you live in one of these communities where these stores are pulling out. John Solomon here. Here's maybe a stupid question. Why aren't the police just arresting these shoplifters? I mean, that would be kind of the easy solution here, no? Well, I think the there are two things, right? Policies are set by the prosecutors, and they've seen so many come in and go right back out that it's not worth the effort. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think what you have now is uh, these liberal activists have not only gotten to the prosecutors, they're now in, in, going after police chiefs. They were trying to get their type of their type, quote unquote, police chief in place who doesn't want to enforce the law the way it used to be done. And so until communities and their voters start speaking up with uh, greater fervor, uh, I think this trend line is going to continue in blue big cities. I, I don't think it's in any sign of reversal right now. And, and that's despite the fact that crime is going up and creating more and more pain in these communities. Well, justthenews.com, I'll be, uh, I'll be going, listening to, going to your website tomorrow morning to find out the rest of the stories. Absolutely. Thank John Solomon, thank you, you so much for all that you do. Thank you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Larry Kudlow, the world's well, our country's leading economist. How are I you, say Larry? the world. I'm good, John. Thank <laughs> you. Solar system? Yes. Uh, tell us, Larry, there was rumors around that Brian Moynihan to make him uh, Secretary of Treasury? Yeah, I've seen those rumors. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, the current Secretary of the Treasury has done a terrible job, Janet Yellen. Um, Moynihan, I, I've known him for years. Um, I don't want to say anything about him one way or another. We'll see what happens. I'm not going to beat up tell, on it. Tell us, tell us about the economy. Tell us about uh, what's going on. I mean, we haven't talked in a few weeks. Give us an update of what, what's going on. Well, I think the big story today was the bigger-than-expected increase in producer prices, wholesale prices, uh, about 7.5% over the past 12 months. Next week, we'll get a CPI. It's going to probably be about the same, 75 to 8%. You know, uh, inflation is deeply embedded in the economy. The Fed is trying to slay it. The Fed is trying to slam down the economy in order to slay it. I don't happen to agree with that approach, but the market sold off big time because inflation continues. And so what we're going to get is more rate hikes, and the Fed is going to continue to shrink the money supply. No one's operating on the supply side of the economy, which is the solution Open the spigots for oil and gas. Stop beating up on businesses. Renew the Trump tax cuts. Reward success. Don't punish it. Produce goods. Produce jobs. Produce investment. That's what we need, but that's not what we're getting. And the way we're going, we will get a recession next year. And the market got slammed today. Uh, in fact, it was a lousy lousy week for the market in general. Understood. Um, which way... I, I, I've heard you say that you think that next week uh, that the interest rate rise will be 50 basis points. You feel good about that? Yeah, I think they'll go 50. But, you know, looking at this story, Wall Street is talking about something called a pivot, 
where really the Fed is going to stop raising rates. And I can tell you that's not going to happen. So even though they will do 50, which is a bit less than the 75s they've been doing, um, as we get into the new year, John, I think they're going to continue to raise rates. Not sure Wall Street, you know, stock market is completely ready for that, although it maybe is beginning to discount it because this was a terrible week. I mean, look, they're determined to slam down the economy and uh, raise the unemployment rate. It's root canal without Novocaine. That's what it is. Larry Kudlow, I want to ask your opinion about the prisoner swap. What, what do you think? Brittany Griner, um, we, we brought her home, but, you know, for Victor Bout, Merchant of Death. It's- and terrible. Paul Whelan. Absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. And we didn't get the Marine. Right. Right. So Paul the Whelan. sides don't seem to care about that. Just throw that in the mix. Makes us look weak. Very bad mistake. By the way, it's a deal that was rejected uh, by Trump several times when it was proposed a few years ago. A terrible idea, Lydia. Absolutely terrible idea. Another thing is, incidentally, and you're talking about international relations. You know, in the news, the Chinese nosing around the Middle East, meeting with the Saudis, Saudi Arabia is China's biggest oil supplier. Uh, They're trying to break up U.S. influence in the Middle East. And here, too, Biden's made terrible mistakes favoring an Iran deal uh, against a relationship, a healthy relationship with the Saudis. So the Saudis are going to China. The Saudis are also talking to Russia. So this is another example of a terribly mistaken foreign policy. Thank you so much, Larry. Thanks, John. Thanks, everybody. With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos. Would you believe it's 14 days till Christmas? My God, the year has gone so fast. Dr. Peter Michalos, this was a year of years. I mean, is there a reason it went so fast or, or we just feel that way? I think that we've been getting hit with so many things between the pandemic and lockdowns and COVID and financial disturbances and threats, uh, discussions of threats of nuclear war around the world and uh, just a lot of uh, chaos and a lot of divisiveness. But uh, we're constantly and intensely thinking about things and, uh, and time just goes very, very quickly and we didn't have a lot of downtime. We just went from one problem to the next uh, you know now we're dealing with high oil prices and dealing with all kinds of uh, other issues uh food prices so all these things are constantly uh, stressing people out uh and that's why i think that causes an acceleration in the sense of time well now we're coming to to, to the holidays and there's a lot of people that are very happy there's a lot of people that are very depressed and a lot of people are alone. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, I, I, I always experienced that, uh, and I watch a lot of those Christmas movies on television, and I either laugh a lot, cry a lot, but I understand it, it releases stress when you're crying or laughing at a so-called movie. But what say you on it? Absolutely. What happens is that when we are, for example, laughing, we are feeling relaxed in our surroundings and we don't have to worry about uh, the stress levels are reduced and we're not worried that we're going to be uh, attacked by someone and we're laughing and socializing and interacting with other human beings 
And with crying, it's basically a release mechanism. All the bottled up stress is just released and it comes out and you actually feel better after you're uh, uh, crying. You know, it's a different type of crying if you're under the threat of imminent death or something like that. But like you said, during a movie where you feel calm and relaxed, that, you know, you just have a, a, an, a, an attitude of gratitude. And that's why our, we're going to slide into our topic of thankfulness and longevity, because we now know that gratitude is an adaptive evolutionary mechanism, and uh, gratefulness in a community reinforces the bonds between human beings, and it helps with the survival of a community. And we now know from the uh, Blue Zone studies like Icaria, Sardinia, and Loma Linda, California, those people, they socialize together, they pray together, they have dinners together, they eat healthier together, and they all live longer together. We now know that people uh, in a study where they followed 70,000 people, that the people who have an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness have less cardiac problems, less cancer, and less stroke overall. Uh, during their lifetime. We also found that uh, there were lower gratitude levels in young and middle-aged people and higher gratitudes in older persons. They even looked at uh, 70,000 people on Facebook and their uh, typings and messages, and the word gratitude and gratefulness was much higher in the uh, older populations, which is a big, big deal. We know that gratefulness frees us up from toxic emotions. When our body is focusing on uh, toxic emotions and holding anger and grudges, what happens is our epinephrine, our adrenaline, our fight-or-flight mechanism kicks in. Instead of focusing on healing and going after cancer cells, we're focusing on, uh, on the negative emotions. And when you hold a grudge, Basically, the evil continues instead of letting it go, and it's like swallowing a poison pill and waiting for the other person to die. And that's, you know, part of uh, the problem when they aren't grateful. People that have pets, cats or dogs, both very friendly home pets, again, it re reduces the loneliness, it reduces the stress level. Uh, uh, it, it, what have you read about? Yeah, no, absolutely. People who have pets and people who have a good, comfortable relationship with a pet. And again, it's because they're also giving and caring and taking care of that pet or animal. And it works both ways. And you get affection back from your pet and your animal. They don't talk back to you. They're not asking you for tuition or your credit card. And it's, it's a happier situation. And there's actually studies now done something called functional MRIs, where there's an area of our brain where when you give and you uh, have better relations and when you have a pet, an animal, there's more activity in the medial prefrontal cortex, which is an area of the brain associated with happiness levels. And they found, for example, in a study where they gave people money and the certain people who gave and shared some of that money, they had a more positive brain activity in that area of the brain when it was measured. And we now know that things like depression, PTSD, and stress, they, they, they have a higher incidence of coronary artery disease, and that's definitely uh, documented. And optimism and gratitude help you have uh, longevity and improve psychological well-being. And even they found that people who volunteer have a much higher level of uh, 
psychological well-being. So forgiveness, empathy, those things are all associated with a lower all-case mortality. So around the holidays now and after coming out of this significant pandemic where millions of people have died, including many of my physician friends who are treating people on the front lines, we just want to have the attitude of gratitude as we enter the holidays and Christmas, and uh, we encourage people to socialize and to get together, and if you're holding a grudge against a relative or someone else, try to forgive them and let it go because it actually helps you heal better than, uh, than, you, than, you, than you really, really know and understand. And we want to keep our serotonin levels high and take our vitamin D, which is important for the production of serotonin, which is our happiness level hormones that we want to try to get into the sunlight a little bit once in a while, and we want to socialize and interact with other human beings and uh, just maintain a positive attitude uh, during the holidays and be grateful for all we have. So bottom line, get rid of the stress. If you're having a pet, a dog, a cat, laugh at movies, cry at movies, all that relieves stress. Make sure you take your, your vitamins. Make sure you, you, you control your diet uh, properly. And we may, live, we, we may live to be 100, right? Yep, and uh, as my friend Michelle McDonald always says, go to a comedy show and laugh, because now comedy is back and in-person comedy is back, and that also helps people. And sometimes it's a lot cheaper than a therapist going to a good comedy show. Thanks for always getting the truth out on the Caps Roundtable, and keep listening to WABC, so stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.